Welcome to this episode of Christ in Prophecy. Nathan and I are coming to you from our ministry headquarters here at Maranatha Acres. We thought it would be fun to speak to you from a little more cozy setting for a change. You know, this has been an exciting year, and we are looking forward to celebrating the Lord's first Advent in just a few days. Well, throughout 2022, we explored God's prophetic word throughout the Old Testament, and we brought you highlights of the conferences Lamb and Lion Ministries has hosted this year. And without forgetting what lies behind, we look forward to what lies ahead, and we press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You know, Nathan, seldom would I dare to uh, rearrange or flip the words of Paul in Scripture, but I think you did so quite appropriately today. Because Paul was determined not to be distracted or embittered by the challenges he had faced in the past. And likewise, we must not forget the foundation of understanding we've laid this year, even as we press forward. And quite frankly, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus could be understood as yet another prophetic reference to the promise of the rapture. Well said. And with that in mind, what else are you looking forward to this year, Tim? Oh, good heavens. And just the weeks left. Obviously, I think all of us are looking forward to Christmas, to gathering with family and friends. Amy and I always look forward to our children coming back home, and now with four grandchildren and another one on the way in mid-February, there's always a lot to look forward to just with that gathering, let alone extended family. How about yourself? Well, it's been a banner year. We uh, sent one kid out of the nest. Uh, I finished a dissertation and got a doctorate degree. So I think I'm going to spend the seasonal time to rest a bit. Too. Yes, and I think rest is part of uh, what we also look forward to on Christmas. Yeah. I always think about the excitement of Christmas morning, but by Christmas afternoon, at least all the adults are looking forward to a nap. <laughs> so uh, some well-deserved rest for all of us. Yeah. And yet there's also great anticipation, not just for Christmas itself and for the warmth and, and the gathering of family. But that time of reflection every year of thinking back to the very first advent when Jesus Christ came to this earth. Oh yes. You know it's amazing that there are 300 general prophecies and 109 specific prophecies about the first coming of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ fulfilled them all exactly and in detail. Matter of fact there's 19 specific ones that we can go through. And I'd say let's go through them. Let's do that. As okay. a matter of fact, we just finished a whole series talking about Jesus in the Old Testament. But let's pull out those specific prophecies that point to His nativity in Bethlehem. All right. Well, we know that Jesus Christ is the Messiah because He fulfilled prophecies that were given hundreds of years before He was un even born. You can go all the way back to Genesis 9.26, that He would come from the line of Shem, who was one of the three sons of Noah. And He said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and may Canaan be His servant. You know, to this day we talk about people who exhibit anti-Semitism, and really that is a, a derivative of Shem. So people who are opposed to the Jewish people in general or in, in specific uh, are because they are from that line of Shem. They are Semitic people. We can also trek down through Abraham, mm -hmm. uh, of course called originally when he was still named Abram, to go from the land where he had been raised from an idol-worshipping family and to follow as God had led to the Promised Land. And because Abram believed God, because he obeyed God, God said in Genesis chapter 12, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you. And of course, the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And that has 
tracked all the way forward again to the very Messiah's birth. Oh, absolutely. And then we know that it's not just Abraham. It wasn't Ishmael, but it would be Isaac. And you can read about that in Genesis 17, 21. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time, set next time next year. So it was a prophecy even that Isaac would be born. But it, we knew then that it wouldn't be Esau, it wouldn't be Ishmael, but it would go from Abraham to Isaac and then to Jacob. Jacob, yes. Mm -hmm. Esau, of course, being the brother of, of Jacob. And so Jacob, again, got the promise when he had left his home and uh, had wandered away, and he had a dream. And in his dream, the Lord said, Surely the Lord is in, or he realized after the fact, Surely the Lord is in this place. But the Lord said to him that he would bless him in Genesis 28 14. Your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth, and you will be spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your descendants shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Again, pointing to the coming one who would bless both Jew and Gentile alike. And I love what you said, Nathan. It's not just the firstborn Ishmael or the firstborn Esau that is blessed. God chooses according to his own will. And in this case, uh, the younger sons, if you will, uh, were the sons of promise. Yeah, like he should have chosen Reuben, technically based on Old Testament, uh, ancient Middle East custom. But no, he picked Judah, as we read in Genesis 49.8. Judah, you are he whom your brothers shall praise. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall down before you. So the royal line of the Messiah would come through the tribe of Judah out of the 12 tribes. It sure would. And even down to David. So the son of Jesse who was not the firstborn. As a matter of fact, uh, Jesse brought forward seven other sons before Samuel said, no, the Lord hasn't chosen any of them. Is there any other one left? Well, there's the youngster. He's out in the field with the sheep. And sure enough, that's who the Lord chose to bless in that day and age and promise that David and his lineage would continue forever. And even mm -hmm. today, mm -hmm. we speak of Jesus returning to reign from the throne of his father, David. And that's where we get that sixth prophecy. Isaiah 11 one says, There shall come forth a rod from who? The stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow from his roots. So here we've got the Messiah. It's a prophecy. It's not just a descendant of Jesse, but he's also a forerunner of Jesse, which means he has to be divine. He has to be divine. You know, there's one other aspect that we're touching on the genealogy of Jesus Christ, and we're focusing on the men, but there's some specific ladies mentioned in the book of Matthew in the first chapter. We have Tamar, Rahab, and Ruth. And what I find fascinating is all of them uh, have, shall we say, either sullied pasts or they come from a Gentile nation that uh, is yet blended in to the very genealogy of Jesus Christ. So you think about Tamar, who had two sons by Judah. And so Judah himself being the tribe that would be representative in the Messianic line uh, has uh, an affair, so to speak, commits adultery with Tamar. And yet that's the line that God chooses to bless. So Tamar was the sixth removed great-great-grandmother <laughs> yes. of Salmon who married Rahab again, uh, considered to be a harlot from Jericho. And yet she was a lady who put her trust in the God of Israel and, of course, was helpful as uh, Joshua came into the land. And she was the only person she and her family saved. She married Salmon, who became uh, the father, so Ruth, or excuse me, Rahab, the mother of Boaz. And of course, we know that Boaz was the grandfather of Jesse through Obed, who was the father of David. So these three women that God blends into, again, the messianic line in a way that demonstrates he chooses whom he chooses, 
and, and there's no one beyond oh, redemption in God's plan. And that's wonderful because the Lord doesn't pick the mighty men, the kings. Uh, the Bible says that He delights in the, the poor and the afflicted and the weak to show His power and grace more. Uh, it's confirmed the Davidic covenant in Jeremiah 23, 5. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that will raise to David a righteous, a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgments and righteousness to the earth. And so the Messiah would have to fulfill this exact family line. Otherwise, he wouldn't qualify. And what's yes. interesting, when the Jewish people were ejected from the land in 70 AD, the Messianic lineage was erased because, you know, they didn't really follow the lineage after the dispersion of the Jews into the world. So, Jesus had to come at the time He did to prove that His genealogy is there. And you see, read that in Matthew 1 and Luke 3. You get yes. the full genealogy of Jesus, both through uh, uh, his Joseph, father Joseph, yeah. and then through Mary. So, well, I think mm. that we've touched on the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Let's touch on some of the other prophecies that point to the specifics of how and when and where he was born. Oh, absolutely. The eighth one is the timing of his birth. We read that in Genesis 49:10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, until him be the obedience of the people. Meaning that that the Jewish people had the right to have authority over their court systems and all, but once the Romans took that away from them, they no longer had the right, they lost the ability to have capital punishment. So Shiloh had to come before the Jewish people lost that. And people will wonder what that word Shiloh means. Really it just is a, a form of yep. the word peace, meaning that the one who would be the Prince of Peace had to come prior to the Jews losing their ability to rule over themselves. Which is exactly why the Pharisees, the high priest had to bring Jesus before Pontius Pilate to actually convict him to the point of execution uh, because they had lost that right uh, by the time Jesus was ministering on the earth. We also have, for example, given in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, the place of Jesus' birth. And I find this fascinating because oh, yes, Micah says uh, in chapter 5, again, verse 2, but as for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah from you. One will go forth for me to be a ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. And even in my New American Standard, they've capitalized uh, the word one, pointing to the Messiah. They've capitalized the word me because it's the Lord God speaking. And His, again, capitalized because it's referring to the Messiah. And it points to the fact that this coming one to be born in Bethlehem was from eternity. And so he has always pre-existed. He is God and it's demonstrated right here. But Bethlehem Ephrathah. Why that little tagline of Ephrathah, Nathan? Well, there were two Ephrath there was two Bethlehems at the time period. There's one way up north in Zebulon and there's one down south in Judah. And so the Ephraim uh, Ephrathah would have to point to which of the two Bethlehems, kind of like we have multiple Springfields, yeah. uh, more, multiple Maple Streets. It said, okay, it's not the one in Zebulon, it's the one. So it was really precise. It's a very precise prophecy. And that's what you get in the Bible. You get precise prophecies. There's no other religion out there that has specific and also fulfilled Bible prophecies like you do the Bible, which is proof that the Bible's the Word of God. It sure is. You know, we talked about those Pharisees, the Sadducees, the high priests. When the wise men, the Magi, came to Jerusalem, because they had been following the Star of Bethlehem, as we call it, they said, where is it that this Jewish king, this Messiah, will be born? And those scribes knew exactly. They, they mm -hmm. knew this first. And they said, well, it's going to be down in Bethlehem. And so that's where the Lord then led the wise men. But what's sad, and I'm getting ahead of ourselves in terms of the prophetic uh, foreshadowings, but those scribes and Pharisees, it doesn't record, even bothered 
to trek the handful of miles, just three or four miles. It was an hour or two walk from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, and they couldn't be bothered to go see what these wise men had come from far to the east seeking that being the, the king of the Jews. Yeah, I and mean, most likely being Magi, they were Persians. So we're talking about a four-month journey, whereas you're right, Herod couldn't be bothered to walk no. the seven miles down the Bethlehem. Read in Numbers 24, 17, I, will, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel. These non, they, they weren't even believers in, in Yahweh God, but they knew that the signs, they could read the signs. They knew what likely Daniel had left during the yes. Babylonian captivity. They said, okay, the, the Jewish Messiah is coming and he'd be born in the flesh. They'd read Isaiah 9, 6, for instance, for unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given and the government will be upon his shoulders. And I love the description of, of him here. He says, he'll be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I mean, what human could possibly fulfill all those different requirements, but he still had to come in the flesh. So it was a mixture of divinity and humanity. It sure was. And the fact that the, the wise men followed a star, I think they were looking for the Messiah because I think that they, again, had learned probably from Daniel and some of the other Jewish exiles who had lived in Babylon about the prophecies pointing to a coming Jewish Messiah. Mm -hmm. And they could do the, the timing to know the, the general season of this coming king's birth. And then when the star appeared, they realized that it was something pointing to the fulfillment of that prophetic word, which is why we emphasize the reading of, the study of, and the understanding of Bible prophecy so that we can discern the very season of the, the times that we're living in right now, showing us that Jesus is again coming soon and very soon. But there's something else in that Old Testament oh, passage uh, from Isaiah that the Lord Himself said there would be another sign. Behold, this is in chapter 7, verse 14, a virgin will be with child and will bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. And so when the angel appeared to Mary there in Luke chapter 2, she specifically understood that this would be a miraculous event if she could become pregnant because she said, I've never been with a man. She mm -hmm. testified that she was a virgin and yet that is an exact fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. And it really narrows it down too, okay? You got Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, King David, but then you have to say, well, okay, well, you have to be born of a virgin. I mean, it's, it's it could only be divine, and it was only one woman, and it was, it was always ever Mary. And so, and we also got his divine naming, Emmanuel, meaning God with us. So we know that the child she was born with, or was given by the Holy Spirit when it came over her. So it's that Joseph wasn't involved. Later, of course, they had uh, children and all. But, well, Tim, even the gifts that Jesus was given were prophesied. Psalm 72, 10 through 11, the kings of Tarshish and the isles will bring presents. The kings of Sheba and Seba will offer gifts. Yea, all kings shall fall, fall down before him and all nations shall serve him. Now, this is a prophecy for his millennial reign, but that the fact that these wise men gave Jesus gifts was a type and pointed to the fact that he would be King of kings and Lord of lords, and the nations would bring the gifts to him one day. So even the, the wise men themselves are a foreshadowing of the future fulfillment when all the kings of the earth will fall before him and worship him. You Absolutely. know, th there is so much that is, is positive about the nativity and the birth of Jesus Christ, and yet there are some sad elements that we have to talk about, and those two 
were prophesied. Mm -hmm. It says in Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 15 that there would be a massacre of children, that, that women would be wailing. And so we know that when Herod found out that this, this new supposed, in his eyes, king had been born, he perceived it as a threat to his own reign. We know Herod had two of his own sons murdered because he thought that they would mm -hmm. uh, threaten his reign. And so he ordered that all the children two years and younger be killed in the vicinity of Bethlehem. But Joseph was warned in a dream, and so he took Mary and Jesus and fled to Egypt. Yet again, in yeah. fulfillment of another Hosea 11.1 1 said yes. that uh, where Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called him. So the Messiah, even though he's supposed to be Jewish, would come out of Egypt. How so? Because Jesus in his younger years had to flee to Egypt, but his residence would be Nazareth. The 17th prophecy is Matthew 2.23. And he, shall, he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might fulfill which was spoken to the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. So Jesus' life, I and mean, you can't make this up. You can't, you know, bring a king down to kill all the babies. You and then flee to Egypt and go all the way to, you know, out in the sticks, Nazareth, and have the Messiah come from there. You can't make that up. And yet Jesus fulfilled that exactly because that's how the circumstances directed him. It sure is. And speaking of Nazareth, you know, later on the people in Jerusalem, the, the muckety mucks, couldn't believe that anybody yeah. important would come from the region of Galilee. I liken it to uh, somebody who would be called a hillbilly today. Uh -huh. Oh, there's nothing good that comes out of the hills. Well, there's folks, a lot of good things that come out of the hills, <laughs> I can tell you personally. But in Jesus' day and age, the idea that someone would come from this little village of Nazareth, and yet Isaiah also said that he, the Messiah, would grow up before him, God Almighty, like a tender shoot, like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, no appearance that we should be attracted to him. He said he would be poor and would come from a place of little or no account, and yet that is the, the wonderful beauty of God. He chooses the things that are, to the world's perception, foolish to confound the wise, and he chooses the things that are poor to confound the rich. And this is interesting too because if the Jewish people, especially the scribes and Pharisees had studied, they knew the prophecies. They knew that Jesus would come from a poor background. But they, they couldn't accept the fact that He came out of poverty. They expected a king and all His regalements yes. to rescue Him for the Romans. Uh, but Jesus wasn't interested in, in material riches. He was interested in spiritual riches. And the 19th prophecy, Isaiah 11, 1-2, is the fact that Jesus at His birth would be Spirit-filled. Mm. Uh, to pick up on that verse, the, the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon Him of wisdom and understanding understanding, counsel and might, knowledge and a fear of the Lord. Jesus was rich because He was rich in spiritual things, sure and was. as Christians we can be rich in spiritual things as well when we know Jesus Christ. We certainly can. And just as a small aside, I would submit that the story of Jesus and even of John the Baptist in their, their pre-birth uh, state they were already Spirit-filled. It said John the Baptist oh. was filled with the Holy Spirit while he was still in his mother's womb, which is why he leapt in the presence of Jesus Christ. So folks that uh, today want to claim that a baby does not have any personhood until they're actually born uh, are so misguided according to what Scripture teaches us, not only about the birth of Jesus Christ, but John the Baptist and so many others. And, and so let's just talk about this though. There was another tremendous prophecy offered to Mary herself mm -hmm. upon mm -hmm. the announcement that she would give birth to this baby. And so as we read from Luke chapter 1, uh, when Gabriel came to Mary who was living in the city of Galilee called Nazareth, she was a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, we talked about that, of the descendants of David. And what did Gabriel have to say to her and how does that play out in terms of the prophetic 
importance of Jesus' birth and what we still await fulfillment. Well, it's, it's amazing because if you go to Luke 1, 31 through 33, we'll see four fulfilled prophecies and three future prophecies yet to be fulfilled. Gabriel said, and Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. So we know the fulfilled prophecies, Mary would conceive, and she did. Mary would give birth to a son, and she did. The son would be great, and Jesus, I mean, he's changed the world, obviously. And the son would be called the son of God, and that's what the people called him. But Tim, there was also three prophecies that haven't been fulfilled yet. Yeah, right? exactly. So the, the angel Gabriel said that he would be given the throne of his father, David. Well, that has not yet happened in terms mm -hmm. of Jesus reigning from Mount Zion on the throne of His father David. We know that that prophecy awaits fulfillment. It says that He would reign over the house of Jacob forever. We know that there were many Jews in His day and age who rejected Him. Tragically, there are many Jews even since then who have rejected Him. And sadly, too often, uh, many Jews are resistant to even the Gospel because of the persecution that Christians have imposed upon them down through the ages. That is something that we, we rail against because Christians should love the Jewish people. We should be a blessing to the descendants of Abraham. Yes. And then, of course, it also says His kingdom will have no end. So, as the, uh, the prophet also saw, uh, there would be a stone cut not from human hands that would rise to fill the earth. And we know that the kingdom of God that is coming in its ultimate fulfillment will fill the earth. And as Jesus reigns, his kingdom will have no end. Right. And he's certainly reigning through the church over the world, but not physically. And all throughout the Bible, the Bible prophesies that Jesus Christ, to fulfill these Christmas prophecies, has to physically be ruling, reigning over this earth. He has to end failed, flawed human government and set up his kingdom in Jerusalem and it'll last a thousand years and then on into eternity. So, yeah, that part hasn't come yet, but that's that's kind of the Christmas hope we have, isn't it? It sure is. And so, even as we reflect on Christmas is past, on the very first Christmas, the very first Advent, it always points us to the future. And I would even say that we should consider for a moment the example of Mary. So, yes. Mary being this young girl called of God, uh, told by an angel that she would actually conceive and bear the Messiah. What a tremendous privilege and honor, but also what a tremendous burden for her because she knew that she would immediately be ostracized in all likelihood by her family, by her community. And yet she said, let it be done according to your will, speaking of God's will. And so we know also from her Magnificat, her, her song that she expresses uh, with great joy, she says that my soul exalts in the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. Can you imagine this young girl, and we think she was in her middle teens, uh -huh, uh -huh. expecting a baby, knowing that it would be a very challenging period of her life, again, to be potentially ostracized by family and friends, and yet she recognized, even as she was called blessed by the angel, she yet was in need of a Savior, and looked forward not just to the birth of a baby, but to the arrival of a Savior. And this is where the tragedy, I think, of Christmas comes, because we have two groups of people uh, that approach Mary differently. You've got the Catholic Church, which overemphasized Mary. Uh, they 
false doctrines have crept into the Catholic Church over the years, the Immaculate Conception of Mary. In other words, not just Jesus was right. born sinless, but Mary as well. The Assumption of Mary that she, like <laughs> Jesus, was taken up to heaven and, and dwells in heaven, that she was a perpetual virgin, even though it ignores all the gifts. Uh, verse Mark 6.3 and Matthew 13.55-56, which explain that Jesus had four brothers and at least two sisters. Yes. So, she didn't stay a virgin, or even worse. And Mary is a co-redemptrix. We're hearing uh -huh. that more and more from the Catholic Church. Uh, Luke 1, 46-47, in the same passage, she says, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God, who? My, my Savior. Savior. If she was a co-redemptrix, if she was sinless, if she was assumed to heaven, then why would she need a Savior? And yet, you talked about two groups of people. So, the other group of people just ignore Mary and cast her aside, almost yeah. in a rejection of that adoration that goes to an extreme. They swing the pendulum the other side. We approach Mary from a balanced perspective. In other words, we recognize that just like us, she was in need of a Savior, but she was a young woman who is a worthy exemplar of faithful obedience to God. And what a blessing she became. And as even the, uh, the song says, uh, all the generations to come will call her blessed. And, and so do. sure enough, we do. We consider her blessed by God and privileged to be the mother of our Lord and Savior. Well, the way she approached it, Luke 138, then Mary said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord, let it to be me according to your word. It wasn't women's rights and my rights and I need to you know, have an abortion, all the craziness we see today. What we see is a, a perfect submission to the will of God. And that's what God wants out of His followers. He wants a perfect submission. So even Mary, it was a servant, even though she mothered Jesus and took care of Him in those years, and I can't imagine raising a Savior, you know, how does that work exactly? But uh, we, we saw that she had perfect obedience to, to God, and, and that's what God's looking for in His, uh, have that perfect restored relationship with humanity again. So, you know, even as you and I and our families and those watching today look forward to Christmas and look forward to all the joy and the warmth that we'll experience gathering with our family, gathering with our friends, reflecting on Jesus' birth and uh, His great gift uh, of coming to this earth, giving Himself for us. I, I think back to my own childhood, how eager my brother and I were to get out of bed on Christmas morning. You know, we didn't look forward to getting up early any day except <laughs> Christmas Day. Five in the morning. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. And we were told, wait until mom and dad wake up. Oh, we, we couldn't wait, the excitement. Uh -huh. I have that kind of sense of excitement about Jesus' return. I don't know which day, but I am so eager for Him to come, and I think that's a little bit of a picture of how we should be eagerly anticipating the arrival of our Messiah. Absolutely. And that's what Christmas points to. It's not the end story. Jesus didn't stop as a baby. He didn't stop on the cross where some people put Him. No, He's the King of kings and Lord of lords, and He's going to rule and reign over this earth. That's the Jesus of Christmas. It sure is. Well, folks, I hope that you are looking forward not only to Christmas in general, but to the coming Messiah, who has come and who is coming again. He is God's perfect gift. And so no matter what you buy as presents or gifts for your loved ones, I hope that you're sharing Jesus Christ with family, with friends, with every person you come in contact with. And I hope that like Nathan and I, you're looking forward to our soon returning great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. On behalf of all of us here at Lamb and Lime Ministries, we wish you and your family a very Merry Christmas. Godspeed. From all of us here at Lamb and Lime Ministries to your family at home, Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year.
I want to take a moment to tell you about a wonderful Christmas present for children. The book's title is Jesus is Coming Again. This is one of the only books about end time prophecy that has ever been published for children. As it tells the story of end time events, it focuses on the positive promises of God, like the promise that we will receive new, immortal, and perfected bodies that the blind will see, the deaf will hear, and the lame will walk. The book is printed in full color and contains dozens of beautiful illustrations like this one showing the marriage feast of the Lamb and this one showing the second coming of Jesus. It even has a coloring page at the end. You can get a copy of this book for a gift of $10 or more including shipping by calling the number on the screen and asking for the children's book. This book would make a wonderful Christmas present for your children or your grandchildren. 